This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, the best investors in the world. And just getting that out to everybody is kind of a big mission. We're sort of on a we're on a mission. We're like the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're here to <laughs> we're here to have Not a revolution of investing. Or anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the, the the thing is that you know investors all think they're investing when they're out there doing mutual funds, and and basically they're, in my view, speculating that the markets are going to go up. Investing, according to the best investors in the world, is really about finding an asset. You know the value of it, and you can buy it a lot cheaper than that, and that's investing. So that's what we're working on in this podcast. And yeah, today and we're also we've got- working on figuring out how to do that internally, right? Like that's a huge challenge for, frankly, most of us, except for PBT over there. And it's <laughs> a difficult thing to want to learn about finance and learn about the markets and learn about money and risk your money when it doesn't come naturally, right? Do you, can you accept that there are people like that in the world, Dad? Well, of course, but not many. So, <laughs> it's so fundamental to a modern life to be aware of what your money is buying. In a, in a, in a world where we're, we're making a value statement in, in almost everything we do, and those values are being reflected in, in the future that we're building for our children, it's pretty important that you know where your money's going. You know what you're doing with it when you're supporting certain kinds of things. And I think that that's so fundamental. It's like it affects every one of us. And I, I can't imagine there are a huge number of people who have assets to invest that wouldn't be somewhat concerned about what those assets are and what they're doing in the world. And I think that's a, it's a fundamental part of human nature to want to do the right thing. And I think that, that the right thing, of course, I don't have the answer for that. I don't know what the right thing is for anybody else. I barely know it for me on many things, but well, let's the idea is help with that. Well, the idea is to figure it out for yourself and then vote your money. I think that's the key here, frankly. And we've got somebody here on on this podcast with us today who's a very good friend of mine, who's one of the most incredible, knowledgeable, brilliant. I could I could use the word genius and not be embarrassed here at helping people figure out who they are, what their values are, what they want to do with their life, and do it. And it's incredible. So I would love to uh, – why, why don't you give our, our audience a little rundown on, uh, on my dear friend John Asaroff's bio here. Yeah, we're thrilled to welcome John Asaroff to the Invested Podcast. He's one of the leading mindset and behavioral experts in the entire world. I first heard about John when I watched The Secret low so many years ago – and since then, he's just 
taken that platform and run with it. He's been on Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper, The Ellen Show. He's built five multi-million dollar companies. He's written two New York Times bestselling books. He's been in eight movies. And now he's the founder and CEO of Neurogym, which is a company that uses the most advanced technologies and brain training methods to help people unlock and ignite their fullest potential. And he has a new book out called Inner Size, which we get to talk about today and how all of this brain training relates to investing and money. Welcome, John. Welcome, John. Hey, Phil. Hey, Danielle. Great to be on with the two of you. I love uh, listening to you two banter, dad and daughter. <laughs> uh, it's so much fun. But I will tell you, man, we, we have had a number of our students go through the NeuroGym program and report back that it's life-changing and stunning and amazing and shocking and in every, you know, every possible positive way of thinking about something that they're doing with their time and their, and their investment capital. I mean, really, you're to be congratulated for an amazing program, number one. And number two, there are so many people out there, I think, who are kind of, uh, you know, trying to help people help themselves who have made their success by helping people help themselves. That's, that's what they've done. Whereas you've built companies. I mean, you are a phenomenal entrepreneur and have, I guess you, you're walking your talk better than I know of anybody in the industry, which Thanks. is, I think, maybe one of the reasons that what you communicate to people is so valuable because you, you're using it. Thank you. Um, you know, I play the game of life full on. And uh, I have, you know, ups and downs and highs and lows and fears and, and uh, you know, mental and emotional challenges, just like everybody else. I just happen to love to understand why, like what's really going on between my two ears and what, what holds me back? Like, why does this thing that I logically think I should be able to overcome, why is, you know, this thing holding me back? And it's interesting as I was listening to the two of you talk about money, uh, uh, all the neuroscience research shows that if you just show somebody a penny, just a penny, the reward center in their brain lights up like a Christmas tree. Uh, so we're going to have a really good discussion about, about money and uh, stuff like that, I think, today. So, Well, interesting. So where do you want to start, Danielle? Because we've got two sides of John here. This is the lighting up like a Christmas tree with, with real dollars, or in this case, real pennies. Um, which I want to explore for how do you how do you use that to get people more interested in doing the work of an investor, right? How do you how do you pull the trigger? Mm -hmm. And I got a feeling the idea of fear <laughs> might be something we want to get into here from <laughs> oh, both yeah. sides of us. Yeah, but those two things are related. I don't think ah. there's two different sides, right, John? What do you think? It's just the opposite side of the same coin, right? It's risk yeah. reward. Fear um, is associated with risk and potential pain and suffering and hurting and, you know, going backwards. And the opposite side of that is, you know, uh, all of the rewards that comes with making money and doing the right things and seeing the gains and the benefits. And, um, it, it's almost like um, a, a brake and a gas system in a car. You, know, you need both and you can use both. And once you learn how to use both, uh, now, you can now you can get moving. 
Yeah. So, so many of us get stuck on that fear side of it, where you can see the gas pedal, you know, it's there, you know, that other people are pressing it to the floor. It just feels too scary to actually do it. How do people move away from that fear and into where they can get to the other side of that coin or press that gas pedal? I think the first thing to understand is fear, the fear circuit in the brain is one of the most highly developed circuits in our brain. It's actually tied directly to our genetic predisposition for survival. And so the way our brain operates is survival first. So when we're thinking about something that might be risky or that we don't have, you know, the knowledge or the skills um, to achieve it, uh, we are actually activating the fear center in our brain, which deactivates the motivational center in the brain. But if you, if you understand just the hierarchy of the evolution of humans, right? It's survival first, avoidance of pain before we focus on pleasure. And so survival first. And so when we talk about survival, it's obviously our, you know, survival for our life is first. But the thought of losing money is like right up there with losing oxygen. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, no, I don't, don't want to lose money. Oh, no, no, no. Because so much of our life. It's losing security. It's losing safety. That's right. That's right. So, so much of our life uh, evolves around money. I need money, you know, for gas. I need money for food. I need money for uh, clothing. I need money for shelter. I need money for fun. I need, so we have this money story um, and everything. And it's actually one of the longest running stories we have ever had, our relationship with money. Hmm. And so if you think about, you know, where did we develop our relationship with money. Like we weren't born with one, right? There's no, there's, there isn't a baby that's born with, you know, here's what I believe about money. Here's how I'm going to invest. Here's how I'm going to protect my risk. Uh, here's what the upside is. Here's what the downside is. Here's a, here's how I admit there isn't a child that, that was born with that. Um, and so if you think about the first relationship that we ever had with money was probably our parents, mm-hmm. probably our parents. And so, you know, our moms, you know, behaved a certain way with money. Our dads behaved a certain way with money. Some of it may have been constructive and empowering, and some of it may have been destructive and disempowering and extremely painful. And so a lot of our beliefs and paradigm around money came from our parents first But the other side of it is how did we react to that? So what did we do, you know, to shelter ourselves? What did we do to either rise up, you know, and say, never will I live like this? Or, oh my God, I'm destined to live like this. And so very early on, we developed, you know, these patterns in our brain. And and this is the stuff that I obviously, as you know, love to get into is what's really causing you know, our fear. Uh, Fear is um, like a light switch going on in your car. When a light goes on on your dashboard, you don't get a hammer and hit out the light. It just gives you a a warning signal. Hey, there's uh, low air in the tires. Uh, The trunk is open. Uh, You know, the engine's a little hot. It's a signal. The challenge that we have, Danielle, is that most people have never, ever, ever been taught what are their core emotions with fear being like the most dominant one? 
And then how do I learn to recognize the emotion and the feeling? Emotions are all happening in the subconscious mind. Feelings is what we are consciously aware of as a result of the neurochemistry that's being released in our bodies. And when people feel this, you know, this adrenaline, when they feel this, you know, a little stress, they feel a little anxiety, um, they suppress it or run away, you know, or go and hide and fear then controls them. But what if you could learn how to recognize fear? What if you could learn to deactivate that fear center in your brain so that you can actually respond instead of react? In the book, you give this, uh, it's like a six breath meditation, essentially. Is that one of the ways to interrupt that fear? Yeah. So what, what do we know about fear is um, when the fear circuit is activated, for whatever reason, it could be real danger, it could be imagined danger, it could be, you know, an old memory, you know, of something that we read or saw that just activates the fear signal. It's extremely sensitive. And since it's, it's wired for our survival and safety first, uh, then that is going to go off like, you know, like crazy. It's an early warning detection mechanism within us. So it's actually one of your best friends. Um, and so when that fear signal activates, you know, is this risky? Am I going to lose money? What have we you know? I have, you know, self-doubt. Self-doubt is actually a precursor to fear. And so when we have self-doubt because we are ignorant, we lack the knowledge or the skill, that fear center is going to activate, 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 activate like crazy. But what if I shared with you that in less than 60 seconds, once you feel this emotion we call is fear, if you just took six deep breaths in through your nose in gentle rhythmic sessions or or patterns, you know, 10 second patterns, five seconds in, five seconds out, in through your nose, and then you breathe out through your mouth, but you do it as if you're breathing out through a straw. And the reason for breathing out through a straw is it, 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 it makes you focus on the breath. And in that focus on the breath, in through your nose and out through your mouth, like you're breathing through a straw, you actually deactivate in 60 to 90 seconds the fear circuit in the brain. And when you deactivate the fear circuit in the brain, you actually reactivate the thinking part of your brain. You reactivate the motivational centers of your brain, which basically shut down when fear kicks in. Hmm. It like kickstarts it a little bit. It does. And you can actually use fear as fuel. And so when you have, you know, this little adrenaline in your system, when you have this, you know, you know, like I call it rocket fuel, right? So, so when you put this really, really good energy in your system, you can actually use it to accelerate your motivation. Hmm. And so when you do what I call is inner size, number one, it's called take six, calm the circuits. Now you're aware, you know, that you've got the fear, but then if you move to inner size number two that I can share, uh, it really takes you to that next level. So, yeah, so the book is called Inner Sizing and it cracks me up as opposed to exercising, obviously. So can you just tell us a little rundown of what these inner sizes are? And you, could, you just gave us one. So what's yeah. number two? So um, 
many people probably remember Jack LaLanne back in the 60s and 70s. You know, he um, uh, got out there on the speaking circuit and started to talk about exercise and nutrition to, you know, get healthy, get in shape, build your some internal organ strength. And um, uh, they started, he actually didn't even start jumping jacks, but he made it famous. Um, but back then, they, they realized that exercise was actually good for you instead of bad for you, which a lot of doctors thought. And that was in the 60s and 70s. Well, what we're discovering about the brain is that we can actually do inner sizes to strengthen our core neuro muscles. So let me give you an example. Um, fear is one of your neuro muscles. It's an emotion. Well, you can learn how to use fear. You can learn how to deactivate that fear circuit. And a perfect example would be is how do you teach a human being to become a firefighter and go into a burning building or a, a building that just blown up? How do you teach a Navy SEAL to stay calm underwater when she or he is being attacked by, you know, seven other frogmen? How do you teach an astronaut to stay calm when they're outside of the space station and something's just happened to their face mask? Well, these are all done through inner sizes to teach them how to stay calm. They can use um, the techniques that we use in our book, uh, whether it's mental contrasting or visualizations or self-talk or breathing exercises, a variety of different inner sizes you can use to increase your awareness of your thoughts, emotions, feelings, stress, anxiety. You can learn to see what is triggering those thoughts, what either environmental issue is triggering it, uh, what thought pattern am I having on a consistent basis that's triggering it, and you can start to be more in control of understanding, here are my emotions, here's what triggers them, here's how I stay focused, here's how I let go of stress and anxiety and uncertainty and lack of confidence, and there are inner sizes we can do for every single one of those to increase our self-confidence, to increase our certainty, to increase our awareness and our decision-making ability. But most people have never thought that I can train my brain. And guess what? Yes, you can. And you're either gonna keep reinforcing all of your old patterns and beliefs uh, and self-image, or you're going to change it and augment it using the latest neuroscience. When I was learning about investing, I was terrified of actually putting money into the market into a company and so i decided i was just going to practice it and i called it practice shares and i just bought a very small number of shares and went through the emotional experience of buying a stock mm -hmm. and i'm right. so glad i did because it was really surprising to me the reactions that i had and the really intense emotions that I went through. And then when I did it for real, I didn't go through those same ups right. and downs. So I told my dad that I was, had done this. Well, first I told him beforehand, he told me I was crazy. And then I told him <laughs> afterwards and, he, and how great it was. And he said, basically, oh yeah, that's what I do. I buy a small amount of a company and tiptoe my way in and then see if I actually want to be an owner of the company. How does that work in the brain? What is the process that we're actually going through by practicing this, by mm -hmm. taking a little tiny step in? 
Sure. So first and foremost, um, I'm going to challenge you to go a little bit deeper than what you initially said. That's you were petrified of putting money in companies. I'm going to say, no, you weren't. Uh, you were petrified of making a mistake. You were petrified of losing money. Exactly. You were petrified of being embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, or judged. Uh, and that's what you were actually moving away from. I don't wow. know about the ridiculing and I don't know. Well, I possibly. Thought, no, I definitely felt worried about losing money. You're exactly well, right. Well, yeah. again, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you um, an array of possibilities, right? So some people would feel if, the, if they invested in a company and they lost money, their spouse might judge them. Their yeah. children might ridicule them. Their brother or sister might go, see, I told you, that's pretty stupid. You shouldn't have done that. So that's the, uh, whenever we're dealing with making decisions, uh, there's a couple things going on uh, inside our heads. Number one is, you know, does this match my identity of how I normally do things? Uh, will this adversely affect my self-image or self-esteem of myself? Um, is there, you know, real or potential, you know, uh, real or imagined risk here? So when, when you started to tiptoe your way in there, you are minimizing your downside very, very quickly, both financially, emotionally, mentally, physically, however you want to define it. Totally. And so when you desensitize uh, the fear center by doing just a little bit then you start to realize, okay, I can do this. Almost like, you know, some, there are some people that just dive into the deep end of a pool and other people, you know, wade in just gently and slowly. Everybody has a, a, a different tolerance, you know, for dealing with risk or managing fear. And there isn't a right or wrong answer, but what we do know for sure is baby steps deactivate the fear center more than anything else. And whenever we are looking at change, all change in the brain is perceived as taking you out of your comfort zone, all change. So we are creatures of habit. And anytime we are learning something new that we are uncertain about, we're learning something, you know, new that, you know, we're just beginners for the most part, there's going to be risk. And so we are always protecting our emotions. We're always protecting uh, our identity. We're always protecting our self image and self esteem. And so that is the hierarchy of how the brain works is, is risk aversion first before reward. And so how do you actually use both? And what you did was brilliant because what you did is you stepped in a little bit to take a little bit of risk and it's different for everybody, which also gave you the reward. And this is one of the things I love to talk about is how to turn fear into your fuel for success. So you actually took fear and turned it into fuel. And what you did is you challenged your fear, but just enough that felt right for your threshold at the time. Exactly. And, then, and then once you did that, you're like, okay, this isn't that bad. Let me go a little bit deeper. And as you increase knowledge and skill and awareness and expertise, et cetera, then you feel more comfortable, more safe and more secure. And then yeah. what seemed to be risky you know, a month or two or three or six months ago, all of a sudden it seems like, oh, this is so easy. Right. The level, you level up as That's you That's exactly right. And I suspect what my dad does, and dad, you can say better than me, is 
expose himself to the risk. It's almost like, as you said, the other side of the coin, like he's not worried about testing out his emotions. He wants to actually expose himself and, and feel what that risk feels like in order to know if it's something you want to get more into. Absolutely. We see it with gamblers, for example, you know, that go to Las Vegas. And there's a difference between the gamblers who go because they're professionals and they know how to manage risk and they know how to, you know, invest, which is really what they think they're doing because they understand the numbers, right, which is, is what your dad does uh, versus somebody who is risking, somebody who is gambling. And so if you ever go to Las Vegas, you know, and you put, let's say, a dollar on the table, you know, for some people, a dollar makes their heart pound like crazy. And for some, somebody, $100,000 is what it takes to make their heart pound like crazy, because that's what they perceive is their level of risk or tolerance. Um, the interesting thing is every human brain is the same for the most part. There's obviously anomalies. And so our reactions to stuff are all based on the meanings that we give things and what we've gotten accustomed to accept. Wow. I, I, I want to jump in just real quick because Danielle is, Danielle is absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> I actually didn't recognize a standard procedure that I had as, a, um, as an investor to, to just put a little bit of money into something in order to generate uh, enough what's the right word exactly? I guess in order to, in order to generate the motivation to dig deeper. I think in it's other enough words, skin in the game, enough, enough being connected to that uh, choice. Yeah. And like what we'll do is we'll do a lot of research on a company and really I'll, I'll think I understand it very well. And then I will intentionally make a very small investment in it and then kind of do a gut check on how I feel about that money now that it's real, right? Yep. And, and this is a fundamental difference, by the way, between investing using paper trading, um, pretend money, and actual real money. It's extraordinarily different what that does to your body uh, and to your mind. What, by the way, why is that, John? I mean, why, why do we have such a different reaction, even to a little bit of risk, than to no risk at all? Um, because our subconscious mind really doesn't know the difference between something real or imagined. And so there's you know, obviously many parts to our brain. You know, there's our conscious decision-making volitional brain where we're using deductive reasoning and maybe even, you know, some emotions to make decisions. But then our subconscious um, really doesn't know the difference between the two. And so it feels, it acts, it follows through as if something is real. And if you think about, you know, why so many kids get caught up playing, uh, you know, games online, uh, and maybe if the games are extremely violent, and then they go out and act the, out that violence, they desensitize themselves between uh, imaginary and reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the line gets blurred. Uh, and so the more emotion we, we have into something, you know, the more we're tapping uh, the part of our brain that is... Um, going to hold us back or move us forward. It's the emotions that drive behavior, not logic. And so if, we are doing the, if we're doing the logical work to uh, discover the facts and, and, and numbers and risk of a company, that's great. But as soon as we put money in the game, all right, now it's an emotional game. So now it's an emotional oh, game. That, that is, that's going, right now, John, that is, as far as I can tell, 
unrecognized in academia um, in economics um, where the continued, the, the main paradigm is still that the market and all the market players are rational actors who never act on emotion, never act irrationally, and therefore are never going to make a tremendous error in pricing an asset. Thus, all assets are priced at value. And from that, you can conclude that you can't beat the market, that the market is not, uh, it, the market is a random actor where every price of every stock. So here you have Southwest Airlines has a jet having a problem and the price goes down in their stock to a point where it is a 50-50 bet, whether that stock will go down in the future or up in the future. An absolute random system with a bell curve that goes with it. Um, and we've talked about a, a, this a lot in class about how that paradigm is changing now. And I think you're at a big part of why that's happening from about the year 2000 until now. So we're talking about only a couple of decades. There's been this dramatic change first in economics where um, they now have a, 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 a field of economics called behavioral finance, which was pioneered by Danny Kahneman who got a, the 2002 Nobel prize for basically pointing out that actors who are under a lot of pressure will go to a fast thinking mode, mm -hmm. which is in effect emotional. Yep. It's being driven. And instinctual. Yeah. yeah, it's instinctual. It's not being yeah. driven by logic. Right. You're not going to do calculus in fast thinking mode. Uh, but if you have plenty of time and you're sitting in an ivy tower, ivory tower, and you, you, you think about how the market should behave, you're thinking slow. And that slow thinking isn't, it's how people want to behave in the stock market. But under pressure of a Southwest Airlines jet just crashed in Ethiopia, what am I going to do with this big position in Southwest Airlines? There's not a lot of time for that person to think it all through from their perspective. And they start to act on emotion. So that was the first big break in modern portfolio theory. And since then, there's been two more Nobel Prizes awarded, one in 2014 to uh, Robert Schiller at Yale and one in 2017 to... Um, Richard Toller at University of Chicago, both of whom proved in their own areas that the market is emotional, not rational. And this is a huge shock. And it, it still hasn't changed the fundamental paradigm that MBA students learn. It hasn't changed the Securities Exchange Commission. It hasn't changed FINRA. It hasn't changed the regulators. They all are operating as if the world is rational and that, that they're regulating. And it's, it seems like okay, if, if the rest of the world is still confused about how the markets really work, those people who are starting to invest with the recognition oh, yes. that the market can become very emotional, those people have an advantage. Would that, would that follow? It would. As you were talking, I was, I was trying to look up the name of the gal and my, hold on one second, my cell phone went on accidentally. I was trying to do... <laughs> Why can't I find it when I need it? I was thinking of um, the gal, Elizabeth Holmes, I believe is her name from Theranos. Yes, Elizabeth oh, Holmes at Theranos. Hold on. Yeah, there we go. I just, I just muted it. Sorry. My, I was trying to look up her name while we were talking. Is my wife and yeah. I just watched the Netflix movie last night on Theranos. Oh, yeah. oh I want to see that. You, okay, you have so to watch start, it. Just, John, start your answer now. 
So the answer is yes. And last night, just last night, my wife Maria and I were watching uh, the Netflix show on, I think it's Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. What's and it called? Yeah, What's that show called? I think it's called, it's called Theranos. It's Theranos. Just, it's just like a, a doc, documentary, you know, on the rise and fall of, you know, of Theranos. And it'll blow your mind when you sit there with, you know, some of the logical brain that we have and you say, okay, she raised $900 million or something like that. 400 initially, then another, I think 500 million. And it was almost 100% emotional. It was all based on her story. And, and her vision and her story and more of the story. And it just will blow you away. Wow. The people that actually invested in her, uh, Drapper or Draper Fund. Uh, I mean, the, the, the names of the people that invested with her um, it just would blow you away. Rupert All Murdoch based invested on 120 million. million. Yeah. George Soltz, I mean, the former yeah. secretary is, yeah. yeah. That's right. And so as, as I was watching, you know, this, this documentary, I'm going, the logic had no relevance in this decision, right? And here are some of the greatest, you know, investors in the world, smartest people in the world that are backing it. Um, and they did so without even looking at financials in some cases. And so, you know, we're, we're born loving stories, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as much as we think that our logical part of our brain, which is the last part of our brain to have been developed in the last 35 to 50,000 years, um, prior to that, we were instinctual, then we were emotional, and then the neocortex part of our brain, you know, got slapped on on top of that. And so uh, we, we, we think that we're logical. Uh, and, and that's a, a lot of people, especially in the finance world, think this is, this is all logical, all math. Uh, but behind all math is a story. You know, there, there's somebody selling the story. Mm -hmm. um, and stories sell because we activate the emotion. It's almost like there's a one-way streak from the emotional brain to the logical brain to justify versus the logical brain to the emotional brain, you know, to feel. And so we're feeling human beings. And, you know, if we feel, and the feeling can be as a result of, you know, instinctually, okay, so I have this uh, brain that has all of these memories. And for you, for example, Phil, you've been doing this for many, many, many years. So you instinctually already know um, what to do when, you know, you use the example Southwest, you know, plane goes down or something. You, you instinctually know because you have a pattern recognition system that is so deeply wired from everything you've read, everything you've experienced, everything you've done, the good decisions you've made, the challenging decisions you made, the bad decisions you've made. That comes up in a nanosecond for you. Mm -hmm. of, oh, here's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Here's an opportunity. And if you have, if you already know the fundamentals, like if, if you bought Southwest at today's prices and it goes down, I would bet you you're the type of person says, good, sh how much more should we buy? Exactly. Because you, you're a value buyer. So we you stepped have, in immediately after that crash. Exactly. Right, and, and that's what, and that's what seasoned investors do. You know, there's, we think about instinct as, as something that, you know, has come to us from our genetics of a hundred thousand years ago. Well, we didn't have the stock market, you know, 50,000 years ago. And so when you take a look at where you have that uh, ability from, or where did you get that ability? Uh, it's sheer experience. It's sheer experience, your own and observing the market for as many years as it's taken you to become an expert. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a huge point, John. <laughs> I do too. 
it's 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 something that makes people without that experience feel like we are behind and we don't know how to know how to get that kind of experience how to even tell what's experience versus knowledge that's coming in right then because the people who have it also can't tell so that's the extraordinary thing i have to say i think about my dad is that he's really good at talking about ineffable qualities of experience and how that influences the way he behaves with investing there aren't a lot of people who can discern those differences yeah i mean that's that's an art and a skill that he has right <laughs> and, and that that's that's the beauty of of what he's doing in the world yeah is, and is, as we go forward, helping people develop those um you know those unconscious competent patterns that you need you know one of the if you if you you know go back in time you know the way we learned is through apprenticeships right when we were kids our parents you know not our parents but you know we just go back a hundred years not, not that far far back 200 years you know our our parents sent us off to an apprentice you know to learn a trade to learn the craft from a master to to learn the thinking the skill the behavior the you know if this do that when this happens here's how to look at it and and the beautiful thing is that it's a skill see mm -hmm. uh, managing your emotions is a skill focusing your mental abilities is a skill um, learning how to analyze the market is a skill and the beautiful thing here here's what you know i, I keep telling all of my students is um, if you had to be alive uh, right now in 2019 it is the best time ever to be alive because we figured out 99.999% of all the how to. How to, you want, you want to know how to lose weight and keep it off? We know how to. You want to be in a great relationship you know, for 50 years? We know how to. You want to protect your downside in investing? We know how to. You want to know how to analyze companies so that you, you know, choose properly more times than not over a period of time? We know how to. The question is, do you want to? And then are you willing to put the time in to level up your knowledge and your skills? And if you're not, then are you willing to trust somebody else who can do it for you? And, and then get away from this, you know, short-term, quick hit, get in, get out, and, and use hope and prayer that you make some money. You know, just this morning, I swear to you, on my way in to my office to do the, this interview, I get a text from my son. He says, hey, dad, I'm thinking of taking, you know, some of my investment money and putting it into Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, are you, and I won't use a superlative, are you out of your freaking mind? Like, has, like what do you, what do you, why don't you just go to Las Vegas and put $1,000 on black and play roulette? You have, you know, like a 49% chance you'll win there. Uh, you know, it's like, like, are you nuts? He goes, oh, my friends say it's about to go up. I said, you know, tell your friends, you know, to invest their money. You keep value betting. All right. He's like, okay. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah. come on. <laughs> like, you know, so he got him caught up with this, you know, emotions with some friends last night over some beers and, you know, stupid kids are getting into Bitcoin. And, and I said to him, I said, listen, doesn't mean that some people who got into Bitcoin early didn't make millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, but the majority of people didn't and won't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's so interesting about that is there's so many people who don't have 
a you as their dad to call up and say, my friends think I should invest in Bitcoin. And they don't have a, a my dad to call up and say, what the heck do I do with money? I don't understand anything about investing. So That's they right. don't have a person to call. And, and so there's, there's a feeling of stuckness of like, who do I trust? And what do I do? And we really don't have <clears throat> that parent who can tell us how to get past these fears, how to get beyond right. it. And and that's where, I mean, our students have gone through your courses, John, have just had extraordinary results. And I, I think that there's an, an enormous corollary between getting past fear and being a great investor. I mean, it, it's maybe no surprise to you guys that a rather large number of our students on a, on a sort of in a, a proportional basis are coming out of special operation forces. These are people who are still active duty, uh, special forces, colonels, major majors, generals, um, sergeants of all, I mean, we're talking about Green Berets, SEALs, Air Force, special forces. All these people have a very high tolerance for risk, obviously, right? They're in very risky profession. And they, they a little bit like Daniel's experience with me, was that I don't really feel that same level of fear. I never did when I came into the markets. I was really comfortable. I thought, okay, I need to learn how to do this. I, I want to it, and these guys know how to. I did the apprenticeship, learned how to do it, and found success in it. And I didn't have the fear that got in the way, whereas Danielle had the fear that was getting in the way for a decade and um, had to find her own way to overcome that. Um, and yet here's what you teach and here's what we can read in this book. And here's what we should do is get there and get the book and get to the classes. If, if this is something in my opinion, and I don't say this about anybody, John, this is just what I say about you. In my opinion, if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like there's something getting in your way in your life related to, um, to fear related to your confidence in yourself related to any of these things. I mean, if you want to be a great investor, I would say a great place to start is John Asaroff. Absolutely. For sure. Thank and you, start John. with this book. Start with the book. Can I, can I give him a um, website to go to? Yeah, please. Yeah. Ignitemybrain.com. Ignitemybrain.com. They can read all about the book and see some of the reviews. And they'll also, when they, when they get uh, one copy of the book, if they, um, get it on Amazon and go to ignitemybrain.com afterwards, then um, uh, they can get some brain training audios. I want to, I want to, can I just share one thing um, Please. that I think people need to take a look at? There's, there's only four things that hold people back. It's not a hundred, it's four things. They, they can get a little complex. Um, but if we're talking about investing and building wealth and even just, you know, doing uh, whatever is required in order to live a life that you're proud of and happy of, so number one, we've talked about, and that is, you know, fears. And there's 50 different types of fears that hold people back. So the fear that may hold me back may not hold you back. So for example, if I have a fear of disappointing my significant other, um, I'm not going to take action to do whatever it takes to achieve my goals. If I have a fear of being embarrassed, I'll tend to be quiet and not take action. If I have a fear of being ashamed or ridiculed, or, or if I have a fear of failure, 
uh, those are just a few of the main ones, then I'm gonna deactivate my motivational center and I'm gonna procrastinate, that's one. The next is a limiting belief. So limiting belief may be, you know, I'm too young, um, I'm too old, I'm too Asian or Caucasian, uh, I'm male, I'm female, uh, whatever a limiting belief might be that's holding you back, that's gonna prevent you from taking action because the belief is limited and behavior always follows beliefs. That's number two. Number three is self-image, self-worth, and self-esteem. That's one bucket. So if I have this goal of, let's say it's to make 50 extra thousand dollars a year, keep it simple, um, but I have this self-image that I'm really not worthy of that, then I may have the goal at the conscious level, and I can talk about it and say it and dictate it, but if at the subconscious level I have a self-image issue or a deserving issue, um, I won't take action unless I start to rectify that I do deserve it and, and I can do it. And then the fourth one, and this is the one that we usually give the most attention to, but we're missing the point when we don't address the other three, and that's I lack the knowledge and skill. And so the knowledge and skill that I lack actually activates my fear and procrastination center. And so I'm not going to take action until I feel that I have the knowledge and skill. And that is a, a, a decent way to look at it. But what I, what I share with our students is the knowledge and skill is the easiest part of the entire equation. <laughs> That's the easiest part of the <laughs> equation. Uh, and so, but when you work on all four of those, um, then what you're doing is you're creating coherence between your head, your heart, and your gut. Head, heart, gut. Now I'm dealing with instinctual, I'm dealing with emotional, and I'm dealing with logical. Now I have something that we all want and that's coherence and harmony. And we're in a state of at ease versus a state of dis-ease where we don't feel good in making decisions. Nice, man. I'll tell you what, get, get to John's, get to John's that stuff. You, get, you gotta go do it. If, if, if you're not walking on water, you need this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is all just the, the latest neuroscience and neuropsychology of behavior and taking action and feeling better about ourselves instead of feeling like I'm less than, I can't, don't know how, don't feel good. Um, you know, those are real emotions and that's fine, but we also know the solutions to them. And that's what, uh, why I wrote Inner Size is it's unlock your brain's hidden power that's already there. There's, there's, it's, it's the, you, already, you already own the tool. You just need to use it better. Let's get it. Let's drive it to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, which is where it deserves to be. And thank you, John. This is phenomenal. I, I absolutely love having you on. Come back and do it again with us, will you? Love to. You just All right. tell me when. All right. Thank fantastic. So All right. Thank you so much. Time to go play. See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice 
because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.